0: Last week, our panel of scholars illustrated how all three, young earth, old earth, and scientific evidence, can merge into a harmonious conclusion regarding the age of the earth and God's role in the creation of the universe. However, despite this compatibility, there are some very popular theories within each of these schools of thought that must be given a closer look if God-fearing Christians wish to incorporate biblical truth into their daily lives as well as conversations with the lost. What are these leading theories and why are they wrong? Find out right now. Hello and welcome to Skywatch TV, I'm Joe Artis Horn. Today we continue week two with what I promised last week would be a series that would blow your mind. Before we continue, let me introduce who's in house. He's a multi-time, critically acclaimed best-selling author and founder of Skywatch Television, Dr. Thomas Horn. She's a credentialed, ordained Reverend with a degree in Bible and theology, a powerful voice in Christian television, Donna Howell. His broadcasting career has spanned for more than 40 years. He's the best-selling author of the groundbreaking books, Last Clash of the Titans, The Great Inception, and the second coming of Saturn, Derek Gilbert. If you missed last week, how many of you need to go back and check it out, right? (laughs) We're talking about a book that was prophesied to start a theological war from the various theological communities throughout Christianity. We're talking about the book Before Genesis, The Unauthorized History of Tohu, Bohu, and the Chaos Dragon in the Land Before Time. And of course, its companion DVD that we're going to talk about in just a few minutes What Lies Beneath, The Lost Secrets of the Watchers Below, Gobekli Tepe, featuring Derek Gilbert and Dr. Aaron Judkins. Now, Derek, Last week, we started what was a multi-week series. We were trying to chisel away at the elephant one spoonful at a time this massive theological kind of fragmented, almost faction war over the age of the earth, the old earthers, mm-hmm. the young earthers. And we got just a taste of some of what Dr. Thomas Horn and Donna Howell have amassed in this book. And when we left the program, you had just started to tease how the science of chronology, which is what so many... Base their views in terms of the age of the Earth on mm-hmm. is not what a lot of people think it is.
1: Right. And you were
0: just starting with that. What, you want to continue well, that? Maybe a quick recap. Th- for this those is who kind who of mind
1: blowing. And this is based on the work of a, a Christian physicist by the name of Barry Setterfield. And Barry, if you're watching this, please forgive me because I barely get my head around just the introductory <laughs> article that you posted at your website. <laughs> But I think this is foundational, and I think should help Christians say, you know, look, if we've learned nothing from the last several years, it is that the science is not really settled. And this is true in physics as well as anything else. Now, also, please understand as a disclaimer, C-minus in freshman physics in college, okay? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but Barry Setterfield reached out to uh, Sharon and me after watching a couple of our episodes of uh, Sci Friday, a program that we produced for about seven years. Right. And Barry found, during his research as a physicist, that there are five things that are considered constants that are not, in fact, constant. But the consensus of physics is that we do not question these; these are established. Are acceptance of these constants as Christians is what leads to this argument. We're arguing over the number of years when in fact we should be saying, you know what, the way we calculate years is not even settled. Mm. First of all, the speed of light is not a constant. Secondly, the mass of subatomic particles is not a constant. Thirdly, the red shift that we observe, astronomers observe at the edges of the universe is not constant. Mm. Fourth, there is something called Planck's constant which is not a constant, ironically, (laughs) and the fact that the atomic clock, which is measured by atomic decay, is not a constant, because the the rate at which atoms decay has been changing over time, Mm -hmm. and according to uh, Barry Sutterfield, this is all due to something called zero-point energy, which again, is not in the consensus among scientists, but basically it is this, as the Bible tells us, God tells us in his word 12 times, he stretched out the heavens, all right? Imagine you taking a balloon and you're stretching it out. What's happening is you are converting potential energy into kinetic energy. Suddenly now there is energy in the rubber of that balloon, except that the rubber in this case is everything, us. And that energy is created in the form of virtual particles, entangled pairs, if you will. Joe, inside your body is about 100 billion billion virtual pairs. Mm -hmm. And as light moves, photons, move through The ether, they encounter these particles. When the photon encounters the particles, they immediately, almost immediately, disappear. They they are converted back into the ether. And again, Barry, I know I'm barely getting my head around this. Forgive me. They slow down that photon. It continues to move, but they slow down the photon an infinitesimal amount. But as more and more potential energy is in the universe, as that rubber is stretched out, there are more and more of these virtual particles that light has to move through, which means that as the universe was stretched, more particles were added into Mm -hmm. what we call reality, which means that light moves more and more slowly. And this fact has been observed. Now we're in something like what we call the water balloon universe, where things move and shift a little bit because they've noticed since 1970, the speed of light has actually started to pick up again a little bit. Mm. So... Light is not a constant, but the point is this. Shortly after creation, as the universe was being stretched out, the speed of light, as it began encountering more and more virtual particles very rapidly, the speed of light dropped dramatically Mm. in the early days of the universe. And according to Setterfield's calculations, based on the observations of the redshift at the edges of the universe, the universe experienced something like six billion years in the first four days of creation. Oh, wow. wow. Now, things have slowed down since that. rate of change has slowed since then. But the point is this we may be looking at a universe in which old earthers can say billions of years, and young earthers can say, yeah, and thousands of years, and both mm-hmm. be right. That's right. Derek sits there and he says, I can
0: barely understand. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes on to explain this stuff. <laughs> 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 Tom, young earthers are frequently asked. If the earth is so young, why does it appear so old? And they do have answers to this, but according to your tricky God theory, none of those answers are theologically permissible. Is that right?
2: Yeah, and you know, this also came out of a conversation with Gary Stearman some years ago. Gary and I both espouse the old earth approach uh, model and we both have friends that are in the young Earth community, too. So, you know, we can sup together and all that. We just happen to disagree on these points. But uh, we were talking about this at a restaurant. And uh, and we were going over this stuff, you know, soil erosion and, and obvious stuff in the, you know, yeah. extrasolar planets. I mean, there's just evidence of dinosaur bones, you know, that are dated into the millions of years. If the Earth's only 6,500 years old, why does this appear to be that way? And I just happened to look at him and I said... Tricky God, right? Tricky God. <laughs> that uh, the earth is only 6,000 years old, but he made it look like it could be millions, if not billions of years old. Now, the, here's the problem with that, though. And I'm look, what, with all respect to my friends that are in the Young Earth community, to me, this is borderline heresy, why? Because wow. if you say God only made it to look old, why would God go about deceiving uh, humanity? Yeah. This is right. against yeah. the nature of God. Yeah. God doesn't practice tricking people, yeah. which is a nicer way of saying deceiving them. And so, you know, in creating a young planet that looks old, you'd have to intentionally decide to trick humanity, which you cannot do according to Numbers 23, 19, Titus 1, 2, Hebrews 6, 18, many other verses that mm-hmm. absolutely are the antithesis of that line of thinking. So that's where that theory came from. Gary and I will often look at each other and smile when we hear somebody you know, uh, <laughs> talk about some of this stuff and why God made it to look old when in fact it really isn't uh, old. One of their defenses is, well, wait a minute. God created Adam and Eve like in a flash, in an instant, but they were fully mature, they were fully grown. But Donna, you actually worked on uh, part of the answer to that in the new book.
3: Well, and it boils down to this. God, in inspiring the written scripture, transparently said. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. He wasn't out to trick anybody or make Adam appear to be young, but he was really old, or appear to be yeah, old, right. but he was really young. He just said that he created it that way. There's no trickery there, but right. it's, it's, it's a transparency issue. So as Tom said, either all of the science is wrong or God is a trickster. Mm,
0: yeah. and he just, Which he cannot be, right. according to the Word. Now, with everything that Defender Publishing puts out, Tom every book, every work that you guys put, every documentary film, the objective is to raise people's awareness of the prevailing message of the gospel. Right. Mm-hmm. So you guys may find some of this fascinating. A lot of people are entertained by some of the archeological discoveries in the books or the prophetic timeline that's being revealed in the book. But Donna, the undercurrent, the prevailing message is always, and you said this last week, that you know, even though you and Tom may be outnumbered in terms of this other way of thinking being more popular, You'll take the less popular position because you believe it to be more aligned with biblical truth and to and to salvage those out there that may be asking legitimate questions who stand to learn about Jesus through a work like this. Your goal is ultimately evangelism. Now, early on in your book, you wrote about a huge evangelism mistake that the church made during the time of Galileo. And you say that that event is paramount to this book. What do you mean?
3: Yeah. The era of Galileo and the 300 years of church history following this grand evangelism mistake, it was a blight on the church history. Let's just call the kettle black here. What happened was he was branded a liberal interpreter, a heretic, because his scientific research with telescopes and his understanding of the planetary movement of space and everything Mm -hmm. like that, space bodies and how they interact with each other and what moves at what time of year, he had come forward and with written work very scientifically presented of his day that challenged geocentrism now, geocentrism was the church's understanding of the operation of the universe. The earth is in the middle of the universe and everything moves around it. Well, he came forward and showed very irrefutable science of his day that supported heliocentrism, which is the idea that the sun is at the center of the universe or the mm-hmm. galaxy and that everything revolves around it. Well, the church branded him a heretic. They put him under a lifelong house arrest. They said that everything he had ever written would have to be re-written canted no longer in distribution. They prohibited everything he had ever touched and basically silenced this guy and said that what he was saying about heliocentrism could not be true in part because of, for instance, Psalm 93.1 says, the world also is established that it cannot be moved. So they took that literally, and the the earth is in the middle, and it's not moving, which means the sun has to be the one that's rotating around it, and so on and so forth. There's this big argument. Of course, later on, the church came in and and was able to understand that this is a provisionary statement of God establishing the earth for his end-time purposes and his his overall redemptive goal. So they eventually let that go. But what happened was a 300-year period where there were people who came forward and said, Man, I wish I could believe in the Bible. I want to believe in God, but the church is telling me that the only way I can believe in this Bible is if I believe that the earth is at the center of the universe and my telescope and the testimony of my very own eyes tells me that that's bananas. Mm. Yeah. So I guess I can't believe in scripture. That's what happened for mm. 300 years in the time of Galileo and following. So I ask this question, if there is an opportunity to see that there is another interpretation of the book of Genesis that does not hold to church tradition and respectfully by church tradition, I mean the young earth interpretation that says you must believe the earth is only six to 10,000 years old. And if you don't, you're a heretic or you believe in science or you are a liberal interpreter. If there's no other way than that, we could be looking at another multi-century time where people say, I want to believe in God. I want to believe in scripture, but I can't because Science is showing me a lot of proof that the earth is older than six to ten thousand years old. So, if I can't believe the first few verses of the Bible to speak truth, I can't accept the rest of the document. Right. One of the worst. Mistakes that church has ever made is to claim that that is the only way to interpret scripture, and everything else is a fallacy. And I
2: would even add to that, Joe, that what we're talking here when we say that, like the dominant view—I don't know what the percentages are—but the dominant view that uh, Earth is six thousand years old or whatever. That actually has more to do with American Christianity that developed here in early American history. There are other places around the world where that would not necessarily be the dominant view. There are churches or organizations in other countries. They don't hold this view at all. But here in America, it is something we (laughs) have to deal with.
0: But since we're talking about the potential compatibility between the scientific record and the scriptural record, Donna, lots of viewers are probably wondering what your response would be to Darwinism and the big bang. What would your response to that be?
3: Right. That's the first thing. If you accept (laughs) anything scientific, you also have to accept that man came from monkeys. And no, Darwinism's (laughs) out. That one's a quick, easy slam dunk. Adam was made in the image of God Mm -hmm. and he is therefore unique. He was not made in the image of a monkey or any other kind of primordial soup. So respectfully, even though there are theistic evolutionists who say that God used randomized evolution, but he just guided it so that it would get there and do what he wanted. I I respect them. Like you say, that they are our brothers and sisters, but it's theologically incompatible with the idea of Adam being a unique carrier of the image of God. Mm -hmm. And it also forces weird incompatibilities with scripture. Like if, if Adam did come from a long line of monkeys, yet death was not introduced until the bite from the forbidden fruit Were all the monkey men just immortal and perfect? Like, it's just incompatible. Darwinism's out. All right. Now, (laughs) Big Bang, real quick, it depends on where you're going with that theistic evolutionism versus, you know, the entire secular idea of it. But there are reasons to believe, as Chuck Missler would share, randomized evolution by itself is absolutely preposterous. Let me give you one One example, if I wanted to go down the human biology, we'd be here for 12 episodes straight. One (laughs) example, watch this, the hemoglobin in the, the human blood, right? It consists of 574 elements and 22 amino acids, and it is in a perfect sequence together. All of those amino acids and the elements merge perfectly. If they don't, we get what is called hemoglobinopathy, and that is fatal. So the only way that the very first human could have ever existed long enough to produce offspring and, you know, procreate and have generations after him is if that sequence ended up being perfect at some point in our human history, okay? Now, the number of possible mathematical permutations that exist in taking 574 elements and aligning perfectly with 22 amino acids, the chances of that happening by chance, by coincidence, Mm -hmm. is this number – 10 with 650 zeros following it 10 to the 650th power that's the possible permutations okay now you <laughs> you look at that and you realize that if the earth is as old as science is saying this universe has only been around for 10 with 18 zeros following it so you tell me how does something that that could only happen by chance in one chance in 10 with 650 zeros following it happen in a universe that's only been around for a number of seconds that is represented by 10 to the 18th power. What that means is there's not enough seconds in the history of the universe for that to have accidentally happened. Mm. And according to Missler, in the world of quantum physics, quantum physics, guys, any number that is 10 with 50 zeros following it is absurd and impossible. <laughs> so using the human hemoglobin alone, that one part of our blood represents a sequence that makes randomized evolution. Look at what, look at what it actually says. In the beginning, there was nothing, and then it exploded. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it's preposterous. So Darwinism's out, randomized evolution is out. Science still remains to be in, because what we look at when we see science is absolutely flawed, and genuine reality as God designed it is not the same thing.
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, we want to make sure you know how you can get your copy of this incredible new book in the Before Genesis Master Collection. When you order the Before Genesis Master Collection from the SkyWatchTVStore.com, you'll receive the brand new book, Before Genesis, The Unauthorized History of Tohu. Bohu and the Chaos Dragon in the Land Before Time by Dr. Thomas Horn and Donna Howell. In this phenomenal new work, you'll learn about the debate raging between the Old Earth and the Young Earth creationist groups, what the Earth was like during the without form and void era of Genesis 1-2, how ancient archeological sites like Gobekli Tepe and the Doorway of the Serpent point to an intelligent race of beings on Earth alive before the time of Adam and under Lucifer's fallen influence. And for the first time ever, the conclusion to the events of Genesis that merges all contributing voices from not only the young and old creationist groups, but the scientific community as well into one balanced and agreeable climax. But that's not all, you'll also receive the amazing DVD, What Lies Beneath? The Lost Secrets of the Watchers Below Gobekli Tepe, featuring archeologist and author Dr. Aaron Judkins and best-selling author Derek Gilbert as they reveal Gobekli Tepe's historical use as a place of watchers worship. The evidence of a cult that venerated human skulls and reptilian creators and the links between the God of Gobekli Tepe and the Bible also included in this must-have Master Collection are the digital, downloadable, e-book versions of the Earth's earliest ages, Unearthing, The Lost World of the Cloud Eaters, and The Apocrypha, including The Book of Enoch. These three masterpiece works will be available for download immediately when you place your order for the Before Genesis Master Collection and are being included in this offer absolutely free. All of these items hold a retail value of over $85. Yours now for your donation of only $35 plus shipping and handling. So don't delay. You can scan the QR code on your screen using the camera app on your phone for instant access to this special opportunity. You can also visit us at skywatchtvstore.com or call 1-844-750-4985 and ask for the Before Genesis Master Collection right now. Donna, with a few minutes left on the clock, I know this is a big one, and it's very important to the book. This is one of the main arcs that you guys uh, assert throughout this work, and only the second verse of the entire Bible we read, quote, and the earth was without form and void, unquote. Scholars for thousands of years have acknowledged that although this is not a bad translation, It is an incomplete translation. What do you mean by this?
3: Absolutely. It's extremely incomplete. So without form and void comes from the Hebrew rhyming words tohu vabohu. Let's look at those words first. Isolate them as words and see in Hebrew to the original Jewish readers, what did those words mean? First of all, from James Strong, the the celebrated Strong's Concordance. Everybody knows that routine, right? (laughs) Even he says that tohu means to lie waste, a desolation of surface. Automatically and right away, something happened to the surface of this place. Bohu, to be empty of acuity and nothingness. Uh, An undistinguishable ruin. That's Mm -hmm. what these words mean. According to James Strong. Let's look at another one. Jesenius Hebrew chaldee lexicon says, Tohu means that which is wasted, laid waste. And Bohu means emptiness or voidness. Sound like something God created? Okay, moving on. The Brown-Driver-Briggs Hebrew-English lexicon says, Tohu is a formlessness, a confusion. Remember that God is not the author of confusion, the New Testament says. Unreality, emptiness, formlessness of primeval earth, and listen to this part, a land reduced to a primeval chaos. That is what this word means. Mm. All right. Dictionary of biblical language with semantic domains. All right. Tohu, formless wasteland. What is barren and void of use as tracts of unpopulated land? Ruination, destruction. What has been destroyed and in chaos and confusion? One after another, after another. Look, that's just focusing on what people say the word means. Let's move from lexicons for a moment over to commentaries and take what they think that means in the whole context of the whole verse here. Bible knowledge commentary here says, Such conditions as tohu vabohu would not result from God's creative work. Rather, in the Bible, they are symptomatic of sin and are coordinate with judgment. Huh. The Schofield Reference Bible cross-references Jeremiah 4, 23 through 26, and Isaiah 24, 1, and uh, 48, 18, which he says, with all of these taken together, it clearly indicates that the earth had undergone a cataclysmic change as the result of a divine judgment. The face of the earth bears everywhere the marks of such a catastrophe. Like, he's just looking at this like, duh, (laughs) Right. All right. Jameson, Fawcett and Brown, one of my absolute favorites. And then we'll move on to another thing. Uh, Their critical commentary says this globe at some undescribed period, having been convulsed and broken up, was a dark and watery waste for ages, perhaps until out of this chaotic state, the present fabric of the world was made by God to arise. Mm. Mm. There is nothing about Tohu bohu without form and void, that can theologically be seen as God's design. Now, before we move on very quickly, of equal importance to all of this, the Hebrew word haya, which is recognized here in English as was, the earth was, without form and void, over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament, it means became. Mm-hmm. Watch this. Genesis nineteen twenty six, just as one example. But Lot's wife looked back from behind him and she became... uh, a pillar of salt. Brown driver Briggs says it means fall out, come to pass, become, happen, occur, take place, come about. And it came to pass that. I could go, I I brought 25 others, but with only a minute left on the clock, the point is that verse does not say, and it was without (laughs) form and void. It said it became, something happened to it that rendered it that way.
2: Well, that really stands uh, in, in support. And again, you only briefly mentioned what people will find out when they read the new book before Genesis. The dozens and dozens of references in the Bible translating the word as became. Mm-hmm. So you would read Genesis 1 and 2 uh, in the beginning. When was the beginning? We don't know. It could have been right. a bazillion years ago. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, verse 2, and it became dark and void. And chaos, which goes back to much of Derek Gilbert's research into Mm -hmm. the chaos dragon, uh, the theology of that, it became that. It was a result of something that had catastrophically affected the original creation of the earth. So there is a great deal of support there to um, back up what people kind of commonly refer to as the gap theory. Mm -hmm. Verse one, then there's a gap of time and something happened. Now, verse two, we start the recreation. And that is approximately 6,500 to 10,000 years ago. God makes Adam and Eve and so forth and recreates restores. We'll get into that again in one of these other programs, the verses that say he literally restored the surface of the earth. Well, what happened to make him have to restore it, right? Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about those things.
1: Yeah, and it's pretty clear from the other references in Jeremiah 4 verse 23, you mentioned Isaiah 45 verse 18, that the references there to becoming formless and void are in connection with judgment. Mm -hmm. So it suggests that Genesis 1 verse 2 is also connected to some judgment. As the commentaries you cited, Donna, um, something happened before God created Adam and Eve and Eden that forced God to bring some judgment Mm -hmm. onto the earth, which rendered it formless and void. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So some of these verses that they
2: have referred to, let me just read them so that the audience knows exactly what was said. Isaiah 45, 18, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain, which is Donna's reference to Tohu. So Isaiah is contradicting the theory that uh, it was dark and void, and that was the way God made it. He said, no, 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 he did not make it, Tohu. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Uh, wow. George Hawkins Pember, he quotes that same thing in his famous book, Earth's Earliest Sages, and he says, mm-hmm. obviously the authors have mistranslated this word. It should be. It became dark and void. Also, scholars point to Psalms 104.30, says God renewed the face of the earth. So the the surface or the face of the earth was restored after something happened to it. So clearly something happened that made the earth that way and God had to put it back together again.
0: Well, unfortunately, we're all out of time. But ladies and gentlemen, join us next week when our guests return to talk about the rebel who turned this planet into An uninhabitable wasteland of chaos. Find out who this rebel really was, what he was up to, and what it means for the destiny of God's people. For everybody here in studio, everybody on panel, thank you so much for joining us once again. I'm Joe Artis Horn. Keep your eyes on the prize, which is Jesus Christ. We'll be back.